Before we start the show, I just want to thank our, uh, one of our sponsors for today's show, and that, of course, you are all familiar with, the one who is keeping us fueled at a high level with premium Italian coffee, and that is, of course, our friends at Lorenzotti Coffee. That's L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, and if you go there... Use the promo code FICTION. You'll get 10% off your order and premium Italian coffee or Italian coffee brewing supplies delivered right to your door. It's a company run by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs that came together over their love of coffee and their desire to bring that taste of Italy back here to the States right to your door. So go to lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION for 10% off. Make sure you order two tins so that you get free shipping. There's nobody in this world that should be paying for shipping in 2020. And the way to get around that is to buy an extra tin of coffee just to make sure you're well stocked. Also makes a great gift if you're a tea drinker but you know somebody who drinks coffee. Go to lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION, and send somebody you care about a nice little gift basket. Really brighten up their day. All right, let's get into the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. That's right, everybody. We are back. I am back, stateside, unfortunately, and already depressed. But welcome back, everybody. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast. And of course, you if you're anything like me, you've spent the last three days and we'll spend some of tonight listening to how Donald Trump can fix all of the world's problems from the uh, Republican National Convention. And that will be part of the topic, I guess, for tonight's show. I have a lot to talk about as the purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again and bearing with me through all of the uh, trials and tribulations of my uh, Mexico excursion. I do apologize for some of the audio issues and the, the scheduling conflicts and things like that. We will be back on our new normal schedule, which is going to be Thursdays and Mondays. And, um, you know, the, the trip was, as I said on previous episodes, it was great. I, I honestly shouldn't have left. Um, <laughs> that becomes more and more apparent every day. I thought I had some reasons to come back to Chicago, uh, but as soon as you get back here, you, you quickly realize that th those evaporate pretty quickly. And, you know, they have uh, riots going on in Kenosha now. I think they happened like the night I got back or the night before I got back. Um, it's just one thing after another. And Mexico is just, it, it, well, the, the setup I have there in Puerto Vallarta is just 
phenomenal. It, it can't really be beaten. If I had just brought down, you know, my entire life down there, my all my professional equipment, and planned on being down there, you know, till like Thanksgiving or something, I, I think I might have been able to do that in all honesty. But I guess, you know, I get to come back here and uh, they want me to quarantine for two weeks or something. Although I saw the CDC quietly walked that back. So I don't think that's mandatory anymore. Um, they were actually really taking it pretty seriously down there. They were, you know, they, they took your temperature everywhere you went, um, almost everywhere you went and masks were required in stores and when you walk through the lobby and things like that but once you get outside or something like that all, all that stuff just goes out the window and, and people were living their lives it's literally one of the dumbest things I've ever had to do is like put on a mask to walk like 15 feet into a bar or a club or something that's packed with people yes I did I did go to a club uh, one night, which I couldn't fucking stand, but um, I mean, there were a ton of people in there. But you still you wear a mask to get through the door, and then you can take it off. And it's just I, I can't believe people think that this is like the solution to uh, whatever the hell COVID nineteen is. But anyway, I'm back. The only um, plus to being back is that it should be easier for me to crank out podcasts now that I have all my equipment. And I'm not working off of like a tablet and um, it's just going to be a lot easier for me to to get stuff out to you guys. And hopefully the quality will be better and more consistent. But I did, you know, yeah, like I said, I had a blast. I took the last week off of, of work. I did do an episode for you guys just because I, I felt like you deserved it. But other than that, I didn't do any other work and I am somewhat recharged so that's that's good I don't know how long it's gonna last now that I'm uh, <laughs> depressed here in Chicago but I have a lot I want to talk about today so I don't want to do too much more about me there's a lot going on we got the Republican National Convention going on a new round of peaceful protests going on in Kenosha which for those of you uh, not familiar with the Midwest is pretty close to Chicago it's about halfway between Chicago and Milwaukee, and I have family in Milwaukee. I have family in Chicago, so this is, um, you know, kind of hitting closer to home than, say, something out in uh, Portland or whatever, even though I have family out in Portland, too. So, uh, man, anywhere there's a profita, there seems to be a riot, uh, or I beg your pardon, a peaceful protest. <laughs> we, uh, we also had a hurricane rip through... Louisiana and Texas last night. I have some thoughts to go along with that. Just a a lot's been going on the last uh, week or so. I, I just could, I couldn't do an episode Monday. I didn't get back until uh, almost midnight, and then t like it it literally took my brain a few days to recover. I have no idea how many brain cells I killed down in Mexico, but it was it was significant. So. <laughs> If you see a drop off in the quality of the show, we're going to blame it on all the booze and uh, the late nights. But hopefully I will be able to make a full recovery. I have plenty of brain cells to spare, unlike some of these people in government. I almost don't know where to start tonight because there's there's a lot I want to talk about and it's not all totally related. But I, I did just see that, you know, we've been talking about how 
Joe Biden is going to get out of these debates because there's just no goddamn way that guy could be on the debate stage with Donald Trump and survive. And I just saw this morning, or maybe it was this afternoon, that Nancy Pelosi is now out there actually saying that she doesn't think there should be any debates and she's calling them an exercise in skullduggery. So if you remember, this is one of the potential ways that I think we identified of him sort of getting out of these debates. You know, you don't want to give Donald Trump a a stage. You don't want to legitimize a conversation with him, that sort of thing. That That's what she's coming out and saying now. So it looks like that's one of the tacks that they're going to take to try to get these debates squashed. So... Uh, Biden doesn't get, just get totally embarrassed up on stage. He literally has nothing to gain from a debate. The longer they can keep this guy quiet, hidden in whatever basement that he's been hiding in, the better. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting to note that this is the, I think that's the route they're going to take. You know, it's not that um, we can't have debates because of coronavirus and, you know, it's not that Joe Biden can't debate Donald Trump or that he would get annihilated. It's that it would be disgraceful to allow such skullduggery to take place, you know, and, and Donald Trump doesn't deserve a, a stage to be legitimized on and all that good stuff. So, yeah, we shouldn't dignify a conversation with Donald Trump. That That's a direct quote. I don't think that he should dignify that conversation with Donald Trump when Pelosi suggested that each candidate could hold separate conversations with voters. <laughs> um, even that would be a struggle for Joe Biden. I mean, I'm still wondering how many takes it took for him to get through that Democratic National Convention speech. But if that wasn't bad enough... We have the Republican National Convention going on this week. Another four days of just god-awful boringness, like almost impossible to watch. I, I think the Republicans have better speakers in general from what I've seen. It just at least the topics that they're covering are a little more interesting and, I guess, relevant than... You know, it wasn't just the, the same thing over and over and over again. It wasn't all about like racism and Charlottesville and all, all of that great stuff that you got from the DNC. There was this Cuban guy that that spoke, I think it was on Monday, it's either on Monday or Tuesday. He, he had escaped Cuba and I thought he had a pretty good speech or at least one that I found interesting. Like his dad got him out of Cuba came over to the United States with nothing and became a multimillionaire. He he started working in gas stations, I believe. Now he actually owns like hundreds of gas stations across the country or something like that. He's he's worth like tens of millions of dollars. And if you recall some of the conversations I've had about the minimum wage and one of the uh, hurtful aspects of it is that it eliminated the types of jobs that this Cuban guy got when he came over to the United States, the pump jockeys, that job is gone now. We, we pump our own gas because of the minimum wage. And in between filling up cars, you would learn mechanics. You would learn how to operate on a car. You would learn how to operate the, the shop, the gas station. And that's exactly what this guy did. He's accomplished the American dream. And he was trying to warn Americans about the problems of socialism 
and it was it was pretty powerful. I mean, this is a, a theme that is going to be recurring throughout this show because I also recognize the dangers of socialism. But he he was talking about everything that he's hearing from politicians today. Uh, he heard from Castro in Cuba. So anyway, that was the only thing that I actually. Uh, somewhat enjoyed from the uh, Republican National Convention so far. The rest of it is just, whew, is it tough to watch. I'm good for a couple minutes on each speaker, and then I end up fast-forwarding through things. It is, (laughs) I don't know if the the Democrats were doing this. I doubt it. They start every night off with a prayer, with a different prayer. Like, they had a rabbi the other night, and they have, like, a priest, and then they have, like, a different... Uh, priest and, and then they follow that up with like a pledge of allegiance which i just i don't know like the, uh, it, i find it so creepy <laughs> when uh when somebody's like surrounded by flags saluting the flags and and rehearsing like government propaganda but yeah, that's the the republican route and you know they're they they like to talk about the um you know the war the battle for independence and and all that great stuff so a very different approach, I would say, than what I saw from the the Democratic National Convention. Um, they're they're honoring America. They're appealing to patriotism and all of these uh, heroic wars that we fought for independence and to save the country and and you know make America great again kind of thing. Um, most of the speeches, though, are just unbearably boring and canned. And I don't know. I, I'm gonna. You know, Trump's supposed to speak tonight, so that will be the the big thing that everybody really cares about. And I'll probably cover that on Monday's episode. The big problem that I see with the, the Republicans' message, the Republican Party's message. Rand Paul did a, a decent job, I guess, as well. But just, <laughs> he, he was like praising Trump because Trump doesn't want to be in all of these uh, foreign wars, right? Except the problem is, we're still in all these foreign wars. All of these ridiculous bullshit wars that Donald Trump claims he doesn't want to be in, we're still in. So, I don't know. That that that's a big problem for me. But the the real big problem is that, you know, they had this Cuban guy talking about how bad socialism is, but the Republicans are all socialists. <laughs> I mean, we have democratic socialists and we have republican socialists the republicans are just slightly less socialist than the democrats and that's why i always talk about how there's no difference between the two parties you see the problem with republicans is that they've surrendered the principle that government spending helps grow the economy and that it's good when the government does stuff you know when they reach across the aisle and the government gets stuff done They've surrendered that idea, okay? The the idea that government is there to help the poor and to help the middle class. Now it's just a matter of how much socialism we want. And the Democrats want a shitload of socialism, and the Republicans want slightly less than that. So it's like, who do you think is going to win that debate? I mean, if I'm looking at this as like a lemming, if I was a voter who didn't know any better and I was buying into this argument that governments actually help the poor and they their spending helps the economy and all of this crap, I'm, I'm looking at the Democrats and they want to do more than the Republicans. So, I mean, if a little bit of socialism is good, why not take a lot? Um, they're still debating the 
a stimulus package, and the, the Democrats aren't going to budge on that. I think they want three point six trillion or something like that. Republicans want one trillion. So it's like, well, if one trillion is good, isn't three point six trillion like three times better? Once you surrender that argument, like how do you how do you come back from that? And how do you appeal? This is why Republicans have such a hard time, I think, because they have no real principles that they stand by. Um, they just want slightly less than what the government, what the Democrats want. And uh, to me, that would be a real problem as a voter. I mean, this is what the Democrats are going to hit Republicans with over and over and over again. No matter how much the Republicans promise voters, Democrats are going to one up them or three up them. Right. It's like um, they'll, they'll make everything free or, you know, they'll increase the, the contributions for Social Security. You know, well, they'll tax the rich. But other than that, everybody else is going to get more than what the Republicans promised them. And I even saw I have an article here from it's called Bruce Wilde's blog. And it's about the food stamp program and how uh, groceries, grocers and uh, food producers profit from the uh, SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as food stamps. You know, they're, they're saying that Donald Trump is taking care of America's working class families who have been hit hard with economic uh, distress due to coronavirus, ensuring all the households receive the maximum allowable SNAP benefit is an important part of President Trump's whole of America's response to the coronavirus. They've now reached two billion a month for SNAP households from according to the uh, April 2020 Secretary, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. And they're proud of this. Now, I'm going to touch on, you know, welfare and, and SNAP a little later on in the show. The whole point of this article was more about how these big companies are benefiting from the SNAP program because the government, you know, creates $2 billion out of thin air and it doles it out to people and they get to spend it um, at grocery stores, at farmers markets. They can spend it online now at online grocers like Amazon and Walmart and things like that. So this is, you know, it's billed as a way of helping the poor. They conclude, you know, based on the fact that more and more people are on food stamps, that the program is a success. I would argue that that would make it a failure. But really, that this is a... This is like a form of corporate welfare. It's just a transfer program. The government gives the money to the poor. The poor give the money to these big companies. And once again, we've increased the wealth gap, right? This um, uh, economic inequality that the left is always harping on. But the point that I wanted to also make with this article is that it, it just goes to show you that there is there's no difference between Democrats and Republicans. They all support the same policies, just to different levels. You know, if it was up to the Democrats, I'm sure they'd want four billion or five billion a month in in food stamps, and they'd want more people on them. They'd want more people eligible. They want more people dependent. And the Republicans are offering, you know, a slightly lesser amount than that. And to me, if I was a, a normal average voter, uh, I would find it a lot less compelling every time the Republicans are offering half of what the Democrats are. If the if the, if you believe that the government handing things out to people is actually a good thing. But anyway, speaking of Walmart, and I touched on this topic uh, a few podcasts ago, 
with the the sale of TikTok, the forced sale of TikTok, it looks like Microsoft and Walmart are teaming up to buy TikTok. Now, as of this morning, this was an anonymously sourced report. You know, I don't have a whole lot to say on this. I, I know Walmart stock went through the roof once this report came out. The, but the more I think about it, this is just like a... I, I think the reason why they want to force this sale is so that the United States gets their hands on all of this um, data instead of the, the Chinese having it. I mean, so now instead of the, the Chinese having all the, the TikTok data, Microsoft will have it. And and they're in the, the minds of the United States. That's better. So I, I don't I don't know. I, I think that might be a point that I failed to make the first time I talked about this. And one of the main driving forces be, behind this, I mean, because like I talked about on that other episode, it, it can't be that they're really worried about protecting Americans data because they steal our data left and right all the time. All of these all of these tech firms do that, but the government with the, the largest spying apparatus ever and their bulk data collection, they're, they're taking a lot more than, than what they're getting off of TikTok because I can avoid TikTok. I don't have it on my phone. I wouldn't know how to use it if I did. So it, it seems to me that one of the reasons they want to force this sale is so that the, uh, the U.S. has their hands on all this data instead of the Chinese. But anyway... That's about all I wanted to say about that. See how much of this stuff I can get through today. I had a pretty long list. What was I talking about just before? Oh, yeah, how there's there's no difference between <laughs> Republicans and Democrats from a, a policy perspective, right? It's just it's socialism at different levels. And I do think that that is going to present a problem for Republicans. It's I, I don't know how you combat that if you had... Um, a candidate that could articulate the argument. Now, the problem for the Democrats is that Joe Biden is not the guy to do that, and neither is uh, Kamala Harris. I mean, Bernie Sanders could probably do it a lot better, which is why I always thought he would be a more formidable challenge uh, to Trump. So, yeah, I, I don't know if they can properly make that argument against the Republicans. So they have that going for them. And then they also have the fact that there are these riots going on um, in Kenosha, for example. I think that is a, a, a plus for Trump. I, I really do. And I mean, these riots, are they're getting more frequent. They're getting more violent. There was uh, a, a teenage kid, apparently, this 17-year-old kid that shot a, a couple of people, I think three people the other night. He, he definitely killed one of them. These were apparently sparked by another a police shooting of a black man named Jacob Blake. I did watch the video of this, and, you know, there's a couple of issues with it, right? I mean, on the one hand, you can't expect something good to happen when police have their guns drawn on you, and they're giving you orders, and you're walking away from them, and then you go into your car, and you reach down, like you're reaching for something. Like... Nothing good is going to come of that situation. Now, whether or not that should be the case, whether or not we should have cops that that get to, um, you know, draw their guns on you and give you these supposedly lawful orders. There's definitely an argument to be made for that. 
But I, I think you have to realize the reality that you live in, especially all of these people who are protesting and black people in general. They always talk about police brutality and, and how they're mistreated by police, which they are. But also everybody is. Why, why risk doing something like that? Um, I mean, what did you expect these cops to do to you? When you're when you're like walking away from them, you're disobeying their direct orders and then you you go into your car and you could be reaching for a weapon of all people. um, Black people should know that that is a recipe for disaster. Now, whether or not that is a you know, that's fair, that should be the case. I mean, it's basically irrelevant because you have to deal with the the world that we live in. And the world that we live in is that I don't think it mattered if that was a if that was a white guy doing the exact same thing, like some uh, hillbilly guy running away from police, opens up his car door and and dives in head first like he's going under the seat for something. They're going to shoot him, too. We've seen them gun down white guy, a white guy that's laying flat on his stomach, pleading for his life, begging them not to shoot him. And they lit him up. So, I mean. They'll light you up for a lot less than what this guy did, regardless of your skin color. But anyway, that's uh, that's what sparked this whole thing. And, you know, the the cops aren't it really makes especially a lot of like right wing people very happy once it comes out that, you know, one of these victims of police brutality has like a, a criminal record or something like that. I mean, the cops aren't supposed to be killing guilty people either. You know, they're not supposed to be killing anybody. They're, they're just supposed to be arresting people for offenses. But yeah, anyway, that's that was kind of my, my take on it. Like it looked kind of bad, but, you know, at the same time, you, you just can't expect them to not do something like I don't think you had to shoot him like eight, seven or eight times. And I think um, I believe the guy survived and he's paralyzed now from the waist down. And I'm not saying that it's right that the, the, the cops did that to him. But if you had explained the situation to me and you had left color out of it, if you had just said hey, there was a guy, the cops were responding to a, a domestic abuse call or whatever it was. And there was a guy and the, the cops had their guns drawn on him and he starts walking away from them, disobeying their orders. And then he reaches into his car and you ask me whether or not they're going to start shooting him. I would say they're going to start shooting him. Skin color, in my mind, wouldn't play a factor in that. But, you know, any excuse to riot, to loot, these people will jump on, and they're uh, they're taking advantage of it. And, you know, normal, everyday people, especially, you know, Wisconsin is a is a pretty important state, if I recall. You know, that, that that's one of those swing states that everybody's talking about, right? And there, you know, you have people in Kenosha, you have people in Milwaukee, um, Madison, all, all around Wisconsin that are, are looking at this type of violence and destruction. Man, I mean, it's a great campaign video, campaign ad for Donald Trump, if you ask me, because people want safety. That's the, the this whole idea of government. The, the reason we have all of this, the reason we sacrifice all of these liberties is so that we can feel safe in our homes and protected from this from the mob and nobody is being protected from these mobs which is allegedly why this uh, kid went out and, and shot a bunch of people that that were rioting and i mean I, I don't know what sparked you know i think he shot one guy in the head 
and then he was being chased by uh, the the rioters, and he tripped and fell. And then they tried to pounce on him. This one guy cracked him over the head with a skateboard. And then uh, he turned around and shot that guy's arm like almost completely off. And and uh, I guess he shot a few other people. But I mean, how long do you think all these riots can go on without people starting to defend themselves? I mean, how long do you think people are going to be able to destroy all other people's belongings, their their houses, their businesses, their cities before people start fighting back. I mean, the, the cops aren't doing anything. Th this is just going to escalate unless, you know, you get the law and order guy in there who's going to, to crack some skulls and really clamp down on it. And that's the campaign for Donald Trump. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people because people, people are getting sick of this. Um, they're getting very sick of this. They're scared. Uh, people I know are getting, you know, getting sca scared. They're arming up. Buddy of mine wants to go to the range this weekend. Been a while since I was there, so I will oblige. You know, I need to I need to stay frosty. But, you know, this whole thing, it, it always amazes me that, you know, these people, they're, they're burning down buildings. They're burning down uh, people's cars, car dealerships, all this stuff. They're, they're destroying everything. And then when somebody comes out and starts shooting them for destroying the city, they act all uh, all surprised as, if, oh, 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 what are you doing? You can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? You're already doing things you can't do, right? Or the, the people that are blocking traffic when they get run over by a car. What did you think was going to happen, right? And, it, and they're like, well, you're, value, you're valuing your property over someone's life. You can't do that. Hey, listen, um, yes. I'm valuing my property over the life of somebody trying to destroy it. But at the same time, they're valuing my property over their own life because they should know that there is always the risk that I'm going to point and shoot. So really, they're the ones that are valuing like other people's property over their own lives. They're putting their own life at risk for a piece of property. Anyway, I don't think we'd be seeing these types of riots, at least not to this extent and this widespread and this ongoing, if we had, you know, like a good Democratic president, like a Barack Obama or something like that, that everybody loved. I think he would come out and be able to calm these people down a little bit. This just seems to be just as much about hating Trump and just being angry in general than anything else. And they're using all of these shootings and uh, police brutality things as an excuse to do what they've already wanted to do, which is to steal and destroy things, which oddly enough might help, like I said, Trump get reelected because normal everyday people take a look around and they say, you know, these people that are rioting. They support the radical left. The left isn't saying anything about what's been going on. There's been no mention of any of these riots, as far as I could tell, during the Democratic National Convention. There was none. None whatsoever. I mean, they're pretending that these things aren't going on because it's their supporters that are doing the rioting. And if they aren't going to address it, maybe I need to vote for Donald Trump, the law and order guy. Right. Because at least he's saying he's not going to stand for it. At least he's saying he's going to send in the, the National Guard or some federal agents to stop this nonsense before it gets to my neighborhood. I mean, yes, sure, it's going on right now on his watch. But if it gets bad enough, 
He's always there to send in the, uh, the federal agents, but he's probably perfectly fine with them, you know, with these riots going on for a while, just so that he can point to him, point to it as a as a political tool. You know, like, see, look, this is the America that Joe Biden wants riots in the streets. If you want safety and security, you better vote for me. I'm the law and order guy. Otherwise, you're going to get more of this. And and look, Joe Biden won't even talk about it. So that's, uh, you know, that that's another perverse ex- incentive of government. You know, that both sides are, are basically incentivized to let these riots keep going. The, the Democrats are incentivized because they don't want to alienate their their voter base. And the Republicans are incentivized to keep them going because they can point to them as a as a scare tactic to get people to vote for them. But the longer they let this stuff go on, the more excuses they're going to find to do it. And I and we just had another riot in Minneapolis last night over a completely bullshit news story. Apparently, there was a lot of misinformation being spread around the Internet of the the killing of a, a black homicide suspect. All these rumors spread online that that he had been killed in a police shooting. But there's literally surveillance video of him shooting himself in the head as police were moving in to make the arrest. It was suicide. But any any old excuse, I guess, to um, burn down some more buildings, to steal some more things. And yeah, I mean, this is just it, it's going to keep getting worse until either more people start doing what that, that kid in uh Kenosha was doing or until the, the the federal government or the local police start protecting the the cities from this stuff and uh man it's it's getting pretty scary like people are fleeing these cities i have uh, some more articles here in the stack here um this one is actually out of chicago shaken by summer looting in affluent neighborhoods some chicagoans are moving away now i could give you a, a bunch of reasons to move out of Chicago. But these these riots and these protests are are, you know, they might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. We've already got really high taxes. We've got, you know, a, a pretty bad job market. Um, the weather is pretty god awful nine months out of the year. And now even in these nice neighborhoods, you have the violence. You know, most of the violence, for those of you not familiar with Chicago, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard of all these shootings that we have every weekend. Those are usually contained to the really far, really far south and really far west neighborhoods. They're not in the the nicer neighborhoods like the River North area or Lincoln Park or uh, you know even like Lakeview and Old Town places like that. But you've got people um and in New York too. They're they're fleeing these cities. But this is this is just one more reason to to leave to leave these cities. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to to flee the cities. Not only do you have riots and crime increasing in cities like Chicago and New York and and places like that, you've got record low interest rates. And people don't, um, because of the coronavirus and the lockdown, people don't have to go into work anymore. So a, a lot of these people that were living in New York or living in Chicago so that they could be close to work so they wouldn't have this long commute, that that problem is gone. They all get to work from home. And plus they got all the, you know, they got their kids at home. They're probably, if they're in New York, they're in some tiny apartment. They're all cramped in there. Um, They can get a lot more space out in the suburbs. It's cheaper. Everyone's working remotely. So why live in the city? 
it's more expensive, it's more dangerous, and all the things that used to make the city great, you know, the restaurants, the theaters, the nightlife, it's all shut down. They're shutting everything down. So all the benefits that to going to living in a city are gone, you know, being close to work, having things to do, places to go, places to eat, you know, things like that. Those are all gone. The taxes are all still there and they're going higher and higher. Everything's more expensive. Everything's more dangerous. Now you've got these riots. I think we're starting to see the effect of this on housing prices. I have another article here. In the midst of this pandemic and collapsing economy, um, we have U.S. pending home sales surging to the highest level since 2005. Now, to me, the only way to really explain that, other than the record low interest rates, is that people are fleeing these cities and moving to these suburbs. Now, people that are bullish on the economy are are chalking this up to this V-shaped recovery that we're seeing, as you know that you know home buyers continue their strong return to the housing market. But I, uh, man, I just don't. I don't see it. I, I don't see people with like 30 million people out of work and people being underemployed and just all of these uncertainties that, that people are, are thinking that it's just a good time to buy a house. I think they're, they're trying to relocate and they have to buy something. That to me is a, is a better explanation than just the economy is recovering. I don't see that in the numbers. But anyway, let me take a quick break here. From politics and current events, because we have an awesome new sponsor for the show that I am very excited about, and I think you guys might be excited about it too. At least you should be, because it's really a hell of a deal going on right now. It's called the website's called Photo IQ. It's photoiq.co, C as in cat, O. Photo IQ is digital photography explained simply, concisely, with no jargon, no ego, no overcomplications, especially for people like, like me that aren't, aren't good with technology and devices and things like that. He's got lessons for the beginner and the intermediate photographer for anyone 13 years and older. His name is Gus Contevero, probably butchering that last name, but he offers complete semester-length courses for homeschoolers, and they were created by a homeschooler. He himself is a homeschooler, so he really knows how to handle the types of challenges that go along with that. It's the only photography course of its kind, complete with graded quizzes and personal feedback on your uploaded homework to build your portfolio. It's more in-depth than any high school or even college freshman-level photography course that you could take that you'd probably have to pay 15 to 20 times more to actually do. It's perfect for distance learning that everyone's going to be forced to endure now because of the coronavirus or your school shut down. Or maybe you're a student in a school that doesn't have an art program or a photography program. It's perfect for that. Guys, if you're interested at all in photography, you got to check this guy's site out. It's photoiq.co. This could be a great way for you to break into some sort of side gig and get some alternate streams of revenue coming in and if you hurry you'll get an incredible deal i couldn't i honestly couldn't believe it when he told me that this is the deal that he was going to offer you guys through the end of september he's offering 
20% off of all of his courses, okay? And if you go to his website, photoiq.co, and you use my promo code, FICTION, you'll get an additional 10% off on top of that. So you'll get 30% off, but you got to go buy before October 1st. After that, I'll still be able to get you the 10% off, but the 20% will be gone. All right. There are no ads. There are no subscriptions. So you can buy it now and you can complete the courses at any time that you want. And if you're not happy with the product for any reason, he's offering a 30 day money back guaranteed. You, you literally have nothing to lose except those pathetic pictures that you've been trying to take of your food or if you're like me living in PV of the sunsets. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but no matter what, no matter what you do, and you all know this, sunsets never look as good in the photo as they do in reality. This guy is the guy that's going to show you how to solve that problem and more. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION. All right. And I want to round out the show with something that's, I don't know, been on my mind, I guess, the, the last day or so because of this Hurricane Laura that just ripped through Texas and Louisiana. Like literally everything in our lives is politicized now. Diseases, science, sports, you know, they're protesting in basketball. They, they, they weren't playing their game the other day because of these riots. And now the weather is being politicized, you know, with um, climate change and all that stuff. Even before this hurricane did any damage, even before it made landfall, the Green New Dealers were out in full force talking about how we need this Green New Deal to protect us from these hurricanes. It's just, it's so destructive to have everything politicized. Like, we don't get truth in science anymore. That's part of the problem. We've had such pro uh, struggle with the coronavirus is because it's been politicized. And it's because the government is involved in every aspect of our lives. I mean, they're just, it's just way too big. And since they're involved in every aspect of our lives, anything that happens, no matter what it is, politicians jump on it. It becomes a political issue. Hurricanes, you know, oh, climate change. Now we got to talk about climate change because there's a hurricane coming. And you really got to hand it to the uh, the Bernie Sanders type. They They really think they have some sort of superpowers or something like that. Like, the government has never, ever not screwed something up. It literally fucks up everything that it touches based on any metric in any arena. They are a complete and utter failure. And they don't even fail. They actively make things worse all the time. I mean, seriously, take anything. Take any topic. You know, sometimes I wish I could have people call in and give me a topic and then I could just rant about how the government screwed it up. I think that might be fun to do, but I don't have a radio show and I have do not know how to do that uh, live stream stuff. Um, anyway, but I, I'm just baffled by just how many people believe that these politicians, just by writing stuff down on a piece of paper, enforcing those things, and then stealing some money and spending it, that just by doing those three things, they can solve any problem in the world. There isn't a problem they can't solve. It really is a religious belief at this point. I mean, they are deities. They are deities or, or superheroes or something. There's probably actually more evidence of the existence of God than there is a government success story. We've got all of these politicians being trotted out on stage 
for the RNC now talking about how Donald Trump has done all these wonderful things and he built the strongest economy the world had ever seen. But Trump's presidency has been an unmitigated disaster. I mean, not only is the economy in shambles, but all the things he promised to do, none of them have come to fruition. You didn't get your wall. Mexico didn't pay for it. You didn't get your deal with China. He hasn't ended any of these pointless bullshit wars that Rand Paul was talking about. He hasn't started any new ones, so I guess he's got that going for him. But, you know, he campaigned on being against the Federal Reserve, acting all political, and suppressing interest rates to prop up Obama's presidency. And he's been doing the same thing. And, in fact, even worse, he's berating the the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve and telling him he wants lower interest rates, even negative. Wouldn't that be great? He's spent more money than any president has in four years ever by a long shot. I mean, the national debt right now is nearing $27 trillion. We've got trillion-dollar deficits as far as the eye can see. We've spent, I don't know if you guys realize this, but we've spent close to $7 trillion so far this year. And, I mean, now almost two of that, two trillion of that is off-budget items and all this bullshit accounting that they do that would be illegal if you were, if you or I did it, and, uh, if you or I did our finances that way. So they'll only admit to like 5.8, but like 7 trillion of it is, uh, is what we spent in one year. The fiscally conservative Republicans, the entire national debt was only 7 trillion, like less than 15 years ago. So if you think about it, all of the bonded debt racked up from George Washington to like, 80% of the way through George W. Bush's presidency, maybe even more than that, maybe even 90% of his presidency. We just spent that in one year. Think about that. But of course, you know, Donald Trump's not an anomaly. You always get the exact opposite of what the government says it's going to do. If they set out to solve a problem, rest assured, they will not only make it worse, but they will cause 10 more problems on top of it. And like I said, just name anything. Healthcare. A complete disaster. They even admit to this. Of course, they want to blame it on the free market, even though we have more government involvement in healthcare than just about any other industry I could think of. Oh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, right? How's that working out for everyone? Healthcare, more or less affordable right now for you? Or you want to take education? How's that going? Huh? Department of Education? It's only been around since the Carter administration. Literacy rates, are they uh, up or down? I can't remember. Math, science comprehension, up or down? People overall getting smarter or dumber, would you say? Or how about these inner city schools that are unusable? Oh, but, you know, don't worry, don't worry, because they're going to make college more affordable for everyone. How are they doing so far on that? Is college more affordable or more expensive than ever before? You want to take the war on drugs? There's a nice disaster for you. Every time the government declares a war... We, the people, lose. Even if they supposedly win that war, the people lose. Are there more or less drugs on the streets right now than there were before the, the war on drugs? Are there more or less people trapped in cages, trapped in poverty, trapped in gang-ridden neighborhoods? How are they doing so far on that? I mean, they literally can't keep the drugs out of prisons that they send people to for using drugs where they have them locked down 20 hours a day or whatever it is, and yet they think they can keep drugs off the streets? Give me a break. Take the war on poverty. Yet another war that they've lost. 
the level of poverty is exactly where it was when Lyndon Johnson declared this war on poverty. Uh, Not only that, but it was on a downward trajectory long before that. It was plummeting. The free market was pulling more people out of poverty than ever before. Uncle Sam comes along. That wasn't good enough for him. No, no, we must declare a war on poverty and eliminate poverty forever and create this great society. And that, of course, stopped all of the progress that the market was making right in its tracks, and it's kept it there for about 50 years. And uh, society, I, I don't know, how's that looking? Pretty great right about now? You're locked down in your house, you're wearing a mask everywhere you go, boarded up businesses, cities looted and destroyed. How are they doing so far? Are there more or are there less people on welfare, like we talked about at the top of the show, or on some sort of food assistance program? You see, they pretend that the more people they have on these programs is an accomplishment. It's not. We should be striving to get people off of welfare. That would be a success. The goal of welfare or food stamps shouldn't be to be permanently on them. No, no, it should be to get people off of them. And what about the, you know, the military that we have, the most powerful, most expensive military the world has ever seen? We spend more than the next like 20 countries combined on our military. The war on terror, another failed war we've been waging for the last 20 years, trillions of dollars spent, millions dead and displaced, entire countries ruined, nothing to show for it except a couple of toppled dictators who were promptly replaced by even worse dictators from the rebels that we armed and trained to topple said dictators. So obviously, we just need to repeat that formula, right? Win that war on terror? How are they doing so far? And it's not just the war on terror. It's all of these wars. All these wars have been disasters. Vietnam, World War I gave way to Hitler. World War II gave half of Europe to Stalin. And even if you know we were somehow victorious... Uh, militarily in these wars, we still come out of it worse off as Americans. All of those taxes, all of those regulations, the power that the government steals from us during times of war to to engage in these wars, those, those things never go away. The income tax that we all pay today, no average citizen had to pay that before World War I. It was never supposed to be for the average person. It was only supposed to be for the Rockefellers and the Carnegies. But then, of course, we had to go and make the world safe for democracy. Or how about, does anybody ever wonder why your health care is tied to your employment? Like, what, where did that come from? You don't lose any of your, like, none of your other insurances like that. You don't lose your homeowner's insurance, your car insurance when you lose your job. Yeah, yeah, those were a direct result of the wage and price controls the government instituted during World War II. Thank you very much. To this day, we are still dealing with that problem. There's actually a term. It's uh, FUBAR, and I believe it originated from the military. And it means, you know, it stands for fucked up beyond all recognition. FUBAR. That's what the government gets you. But no matter how bad they make things, no matter how many problems they compound, they still think they can do more. It's amazing even though they don't even have a handle on what they've already said they're going to do. They've failed across the board, but they think that there's more that they need to be doing. Now they're going to control the weather, apparently, which is just laughable. I mean, give me a break. Who are you kidding? 
Who are you kidding? How could anyone take a sober look at the results of government programs and think, yeah, you know, I, I think they really can control hurricanes and earthquakes if we just vote in the right people, hammer out a couple thousand pages of legislation. Yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> you got to hand it to them, though. You really do. How insanely delusional they are in their abilities and how lofty and impossible their goals are. Make the world safe for democracy. Rid the world of terror. We're going to end drug use, end poverty, end racism. We're going to prevent the climate from changing. I mean, how about you just start a tad smaller? Fill in some potholes in under six months. How about that? Maybe finish that stretch of highway from here to Wisconsin. Oh, which, by the way, passes through Kenosha. That's been under construction for as long as I can remember. How about you finish that in less than a decade? Or, hey, how about you start burying all of the power lines? How have we not done that yet? At the very least, in, in the places that are susceptible to hurricanes and things like that, how have you not buried the fucking power lines so hundreds of thousands of people aren't without power right now? Nope. Nope. We're going after systemic racism and climate change and uh, terrorism halfway around the world. That, that's what we're going to solve. Okay. Okay, yeah. Have fun with that. You've all only been talking about doing this shit since Joe Biden was in diapers, and you haven't accomplished anything of note. But go ahead. Go ahead. End that poverty, even though you still don't understand what creates wealth. Good luck. Good luck with that. You see, that's another part of the problem. They set out to fix all of these things where they don't understand what the underlying cause of the problem is. How are you going to end poverty if you don't know how to create wealth? How are you going to rid the world of terror when you are the ones creating the terrorists? But for all you voters out there getting all pumped up for Donald Trump this week during the RNC or rallying behind Joe Biden last week because you think government can solve not only your problems, but all of these other impossible problems to solve, I just want you to ask yourself one question. How are they doing so far? Anytime a politician says, blah, 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 I'm going to do this, we're going to do that, just ask yourself, how are they doing so far? And the answer should tell you everything you need to know. I'm going to wrap there, guys. Enjoy your weekend. And if you like today's episode, I need you to do a couple things for me. I need you to share it with somebody that you know that you think would like to hear it and somebody that you think just needs to hear it. Share it with two people for me, okay? Give me a rating and review on iTunes. That that really helps, you know, spread the, the word of this show. Five, give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And if you're not already, follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And remember to support our sponsors. And if you don't want to support your sponsors, you can support the show directly. I mean, this show survives on the generosity of you guys. So go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. You can donate from there, a dollar, $5, $500, whatever you want to donate, any little bit helps. And my promise to you is always that I don't put any of that money in my pocket. I put it right back into the show to increase our reach, deliver better content. And there's a, a bunch of different ways that you can, you can set up a, a recurring donation if you want, or you can just do a one-time thing. Any little bit helps. So peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back on Monday with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you
drill, just keep on pedaling.